So I told you before, my name is Sean, and I am excited to be here with you this morning and uh, cover the topic that we are. Pastor Jose, our lead pastor, has us in this series on the book of Ephesians uh, called Incorruptible Love. And I have been back there where you're sitting uh, for the last couple of weeks, and I listen as he says the word incorruptible. I think, man, that is a big word. Once you get past four syllables, it starts to feel like a big word to me. So I daydream the first two or three minutes of his talk each week, kind of trying to get my mind around this word incorruptible. So to prevent you from daydreaming while I'm saying, I thought we would just start right there. And if you break it down, the word really comes from the root word corrupt, right? And we can think about that for a second. What are some things that you would consider corrupt or things that you think about as corrupt in our world today? Anybody got anything? Throw something out. All right, y'all are doing great. Lots of that. I, way to popcorn it out there. It's great. All right. So many things, right? I mean, politicians, government sometimes gets corrupt. Our, uh, man, our, our computers, like sometimes, you know, you get a file, a computer file that gets corrupted. You, uh, man, our immune systems, we've learned that our immune systems can get corrupted through virus and things like that. Uh, we could go on and on and on. If we started brainstorming, we started really yelling those out, we would eventually get to where we offended everybody in the room at some point. So we will stop there and just know that there are lots of things that are corrupt. And this incorruptible word means that it's free from that, free from evil, free from temptation, free from any of the impurities that corrupt would have. So when Paul is writing and he ends this book of Ephesians with the last verse and he says, I pray that we would, we would love Jesus with an incorruptible love. He's saying, free from any of that, evil, bribery, whatever impurity you can imagine, we wanna love God that way. Well, that's a really tall order for most of us, to love incorruptibly, to not have our love corrupted by something, selfishness, something else in the world. So it's a challenge, but luckily the entire book of Ephesians is written in a way to kind of lead us to that last sentence in chapter six, to try to help us understand how we do this. And so Jose taught the first week on the beginning of chapter one in Ephesians, and it was on the word of God, which is incorruptible. And he taught us about how to read that word and how to study that word and meditate on that word. And then last week he talked about prayer and how prayer can be incorruptible and how there are certain things we can do and say when we pray that will connect us to the Lord, and there will be no corruption in that. And now we get to move into chapter two. So at the end of chapter one of Ephesians, Paul concludes the letter by talking about the power that God used to resurrect Jesus from the dead, to bring him back to life after death, and the power of that. That's the end of Ephesians chapter one. And then it leads into Ephesians chapter two, where he describes that very same power working in our lives to raise us from a place of being dead to alive. And that's good news for us. And it leads us into this first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter two, which Jose, I'm very thankful. Last time he asked me to preach, he asked me to talk about David, who has like two books of the Bible he wrote, two other books written about him and verses everywhere. And now he's narrowed it down. I only have 10 verses to cover this morning. Very thankful for that. So we're gonna cover Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, if you wanna turn there. But the incorruptible of this morning's lesson is the story, our story, our story and where it intersects with God, an incorruptible story. Stories are powerful. 
Donald Miller uh, is an author. He wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz that became very popular. And uh, then he wrote a few after that, but he, he self-proclaimed that he ended up in a pretty significant funk. He was depressed. He was kind of purposeless there for a while. And he didn't come out of it until he started to study and understand that there was a story. His life was a story, and, and it was a part of a bigger story, God's story. And so he wrote a book at the end of that, coming out of that kind of hard time called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. I want to read you a quote from that. He says this, if the point of life is the same as the point of a story, then the point of life is character transformation. If I got any comfort as I set out on my first story, it was that in nearly every story, the protagonist is transformed. He's a jerk at the beginning and nice at the end, or a coward at the beginning and brave at the end. If the character doesn't change, then the story hasn't happened yet. And if story is derived from real life, if story is just condensed version of life, then life itself may be designed to change us so that we evolve from one kind of person to another. We're going to learn in Ephesians chapter 2 that every one of us has a story, and that story has three significant parts. And there's a part that we're not proud of, and then there's a part where God comes in and intercedes, and there's a third part where we walk out a response to that intercession. That's what we're going to unpack in these 10 verses. Your story matters. Revelations 12, 11 talks about the power of our story. It says there's an enemy and that they overcame that enemy. They overcame him, the enemy, because of the blood of the lamb. Now that makes sense. There's an enemy out there set to rob, kill, and destroy. We overcome that enemy because of Jesus and his death on the cross. That's how we know as believers that we've overcome the power of death and sin. But the verse doesn't stop there. It has an and. It says, in addition to that, because of the word of their testimony, they were able to overcome. The combination of those two things, Jesus' death and the story that you have to tell as a result of that, allow us to overcome what the enemy is trying to do in the world. That is significant, you guys, because anytime you say Jesus' death and you put an and there, then whatever's after that and must mean quite a bit, because Jesus' death is a lot. So the power of your story. Have you ever thought about the power of your story to change the lives of the people around you? If you've ever tried to evangelize or witness or share about Jesus with somebody else and you lead with the Bible and you start talking about the Bible, they can pretty easily start to argue that with you. Well, there's a story I heard in the Old Testament. That doesn't make any sense anymore. Or what about that verse right there? And they start to argue the Bible with you. You can even... You know, talk to them about prayer. We used to see what prayer does in my life, and prayer has changed me, and, you know, I was sick, and I got healed through this power of prayer, and they'll say, they'll argue that with you. Well, you know, maybe that was really medicine, or maybe that was just time that healed you. You know, how do you know that it was the prayer that did? They can argue that. It's really hard for somebody to argue your story because it's yours. It's your experience. It's your encounter with the Lord. It's what you and he have done together. That's hard to argue. Now, don't get me wrong. There are people out there that will try to argue that with you as well, but you're the authority on you, so you're going to win that one. The power of your testimony, this story, this concept of story is incredibly important. And uh, like Donald Miller said, there's a point in every story where the hero or the main character has to have a significant change, right? They're moving along in some direction, and then something happens, and they change, and they become 
They become brave all of a sudden, or they become kind all of a sudden, or they become generous all of a sudden, whatever that is. For me, I like to refer to that moment in my life as, as BC, all right? Now, so BC, for me, initially, it has a lot of meanings in my life, probably more than most of you, but BC for me is like before cancer. My mom developed cancer when she was uh, you know, in her mid-30s and she died when I was nine years old. So I have my life before cancer. When I was a really rambunctious, out of control kid with very significant conduct issues. But my mom died and I changed. And then there's the BC that's before Christina. She is my wife. Now before that, I was pretty lost relationally. I had no clue how to do relationship healthily or successfully. I was immoral in the way that I approached my relationships with women and uh, thankfully, Christina came along and straightened me out on all of that. So there's BC of that. And then there's before children. So I was still selfish even after Christina, but then Taylor came along and I realized, whoa, I've got something bigger than myself now that I have to live for. And then there's the BC of before Cade and Cody and Colt when I realized I can't just be a passive man sitting on the sideline. I've got to figure out what it looks like to be a guy who these boys will look up to and ultimately who they will kind of, you know, lead them toward what it looks like to be a man in our culture. I could keep on going with the BC before career when I was just kind of trying to make enough money to support my, you know, the, the gas I needed in my truck and the beer I needed to buy at the store. There's lots of BC, but I'm not proud of any of that. And the most significant BC in my life is the before Christ. And it is the same for all of us. We have a BC, and that's what Paul is writing about at the start of Ephesians chapter two. So let's pick up the story there. Ephesians two, verse one, two, and three, where it says, and you. All right, let's pause there. It's significant that he starts this section with and you, and you'll see why it's significant in a second. Because in our lost, fallen, lonely existence before Christ, it was about us. So he says, and you, were dead in your offenses and sins in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all previously lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as rest. There's a ton that we could unpack there, but there's really three things that I wanna pull out for you. And that is that there were three significant influences in our lives before Christ, and they were the world. We live in a world and a culture that is trying to pull us away from doing good and doing right and being generous and being compassionate towards selfishness and narcissism and get what I can get for myself. The world in context can be the thing that pulls you away from a good story. The second significant influence mentioned there is this thing described as the prince of power and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That is the enemy. John 10, 10 says that the thief comes to rob, kill, and destroy. There is an enemy out there, and I don't understand all of this, but the devil, Satan, the enemy, whatever word you wanna use for this power that is trying to convince you that you're all it takes, and looking out for number one is what matters get you off track from writing a good story. And the third influence that's at work according to these verses is that we lived in the lusts of our flesh, including the desires of the flesh of the mind and by nature children of wrath, just as the rest of the flesh. The three factors 
We've got a slide that we can put there. That move us away from the very nature of God and the good story that we're trying to write are the world, the enemy, and our flesh. And those three interact with each other to write a really yucky, ugly story that if we're honest, most of us aren't very proud of. Even if at times it may feel good in the moment, it's part of the enemy's strategy. Even if at times it makes us feel like we're succeeding past what other people are doing, past where other people are. But this isn't the part of the story that you want to camp in because at the end of the day, it's not going to be a good story to share with anybody else. It's not going to leave a legacy and it's not going to be a story that changes the world. Well, that's the first part of our stories and we need to own those and we need to be honest about those and we need to actually kind of look at that list on the screen and say, which one of those really is having the most influence in my life right now? Am I satisfying the flesh? Am I responding to the enemy and where he wants me to go or am I just letting the world toss me where it wants to? Because it sets us up for the next part of the story, the second piece in every good story. And it starts in verse four of Ephesians chapter two with a two word phrase that may be the most significant in this section. It says, but God. Now contrast that for just a moment to how verse one started. How did I say verse one started? And you. And now this starts, but God. This is where the story begins to flip. So we'll read what it says after the but God in Ephesians 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now this is, man, this was my revelation this week as I studied this. And my revelation was this. If I'm honest, I have spent most of my life thinking I was the hero of my story. I have spent most of my life, even after I came to know Jesus as Savior, trying to figure out how to use the power of God in my life to make me a better dad, make me a better husband, make me the hero of this story for everybody around me. Maybe I just needed to confess that to the rest of you guys. Or maybe it resonates with some of you as you're sitting there. If you are the hero of your story, at the end of the day, it's not gonna be a story worth telling your grandkids. God is the hero of our story. Now that doesn't mean you're not the main character, it is your story. You are the main character of your story and that is a great thing because you get to participate in how it plays out. But don't switch places with God. Let him be the hero and you be the main character. Because the cool thing about God is that he's been the same forever past and he will be the same forever future. He describes himself early on in his encounter with Moses in Exodus. He says this, when God revealed himself to Moses at Sinai, he declared, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Thousands of years ago, that was God. He's still the same God today. That's heroic. You can emulate those qualities, but you will not live those out fully. 
Because we're not the heroes of the story. Paul, in his writing, particularly here in Ephesians, really uses love and mercy and grace almost synonymously, interchangeably. It's the intersection of love, mercy, and grace that allowed the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus so that we can then have a transformation from this dead place controlled by those three significant influences to an alive place with Christ. And if God has a superpower, if he's really a hero, every hero has superpowers, right? Well, God's superpower is grace, and that's what Ephesians 7 tells us. So that in the ages to come, he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Say, man, let's be really clear. God is the hero. Grace is his superpower. The, the gift that he gives us that we can't earn or don't deserve. And our job is to receive that. That is the second part of a good story. Intersecting, interacting with God, accepting Jesus as Savior and receiving his grace creates a turning point from the mess and the yuck and the selfishness and the narcissism to a different creation adopted into the family of God. That's an amazing story. And that would be a great story right there. Two parts, great story. But God doesn't stop there. He says, you know what? I want you to have a third part to your story. And, and really the third part is the cool part because it's what makes your story unique from the person sitting beside you. It's what makes your story different and special. And it's really a good part of what makes it worth telling. It's what are you going to do now that you've received this amazing gift? What's the third part of your story going to look like? And he says in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we walk in them. See, the cool thing is there's a unique path for you to walk. And this is the third part of your story. What are you going to do in response to the second part, to this amazing gift? How are you going to walk that out? The word works there is kind of translated similarly to what's described uh, in the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians, which are like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. It's basically saying, how are you going to live those out in a world that's trying to dissuade you from doing that? How are you gonna live those out when there's an enemy trying to rob, kill, and destroy? How are you gonna live those out when you're still gonna feel some of that selfishness in that flesh? How are you gonna walk out your gifts and your talents and your abilities? Do you understand what they are? Have you accepted them? Have you received them? Do you realize that not all of us are the same? Not all of us are called to stand up in front and preach. Some of us are called to be in the background listening and encouraging that way. Some of us are called to pray and intercede and some of us are called to teach the word. We have amazing diversity in our gifts because we all reflect different facets of God's image. You are not God. You are not the hero, but you reflect a significant aspect of his image. And you need to understand what that is so that you can walk it out and share it with others. Probably heard me say before, I I'm not the greatest cheerleader, encourager, loud, boisterous, in front of people person in the world. 
but I know people that are. I married one, and I'm so thankful. We just had JD up here. He is great at that. Jen, his wife, would hate that, probably, being up in front and doing it, like I would. But you know, if you want to sit with somebody who's gracious and listens and cares deeply and changes you with the impact of their presence, then you should hang out with Jen. We're just different. That's good. That's a good thing. You need to understand that and be willing to employ that because that's the third phase of your story. And if you do that, man, you have a really cool story to tell at the end of this. Back to uh, Donald Miller as I wrap up. Another quote from the same book uh, about story. And this one's a little long, so just hang with me for a second. He says, if you watched a movie about a guy who wanted a Volvo and worked for years to get it, you wouldn't cry at the end when he drove off the lot testing his windshield wipers. You wouldn't tell your friends you saw a beautiful movie or go home and put on a CD and just ponder about the story you'd seen. The truth is you wouldn't remember that movie a week later, except you'd feel robbed and want your money back. Nobody cries at the end of a movie about a guy who wants a Volvo. He says, but if we think about it, we actually spend years living those kinds of stories, pursuing stuff and things and expecting our lives to be meaningful. The truth is, if what we choose to do with our lives won't make a story meaningful, it won't make a life meaningful either. And once you live a good story, once you taste a story with a kind of meaning in life, you can't go back to being normal. You can't go back to meaningless scenes stitched together by the forgettable thread of wasted time. Where's your story headed? Is your story about stuff, accumulation, how nice a house you can have, how many friends you can get, how you can impress the people around you? If it is, practice. Sit, sit, imagine yourself on your deathbed with grandkids circled around and tell them the story and see how many of them you think are still going to be awake at the end of that story. You're probably going to need some kind of electronic media to engage them anyway, but just for a second, humor me that they would be listening. <laughs> Write a great story with your life. It's okay. We all have that part of our story where we are fallen and lost and deprived and depraved. That may be where you are today in phase one of your story. The great news is there is a God who was so gracious that he sent his son to die for you. You may be this moment in your life to accept him as your savior because it will unleash phase two of your story where you receive the blessing not only of salvation but of grace and truth and love and compassion and mercy from a God who created you and loves you and knows you. And there are some of us that are at that phase of our story but we keep dabbling back in the past. We keep being enticed by the world or the enemy or our flesh and that's okay, that's part of your story. But if you wanna move back from being drawn this direction, you need to go that direction because there's a third group of us here who have actually moved into phase three of our story where we are walking out our gifts and our talents and our abilities and we see it changing the lives of the people around us. You're writing an amazing story that's worth telling. I don't understand why he did it this way, you guys, but God gives us tremendous ability to make choices along this journey. Your choices will add up 
and they will make your story. Is it one you're proud of? Is it one that you want to tell? And if it is not, make today the day. Edit your story. Do that this afternoon. What story am I telling? Am I proud of the story? Are there other parts I'd like to add? Edit your story. Change course if you need to. Continue on if you're headed the right direction. Paul uh, writes a a verse to the Corinthians that I think is worth just kind of ending on. It says, you are a letter written in our hearts, known and read by all people, revealing yourselves that you are a letter of Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You are a letter. You are a story, and that story will impact the people around you. Will it impact them for good? Will it impact them positively? Will it leave a legacy and a memory? Or will it be less than that? It's our choice. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for loving us. I'm just so grateful for your intersection in my story and in the stories of so many people that I know. And there are others that I know that have not yet reached that place in their lives. And there are some of us here listening today, and I pray that this would be the moment because that shift in the story is everything. That turn to you as Savior and then the receiving of all of the grace and the love and the compassion means so much, and it leads to our chance to respond and allow you to be Lord of our life where we use your gifts and talents and abilities that are in us to make a difference and and write that last section of the story. Lord, thank you for Ephesians, what Paul wrote to them. We want to live an incorruptible story. We were corrupted before you, and the enemy continues to try to corrupt, but we want to live an incorruptible story so that we love you with an incorruptible love. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit.